Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How is everyone doing this evening, Friday? Friday, 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 ladies and gentlemen. We finally made it to the weekend. Uh, here we are, ready to go, ready to roll, and ready to head on into uh, tonight's edition of the Sea Report. Coming to you live on this Friday, June 3rd, 2022. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you all are having a great Friday evening and uh, that uh, this moment finds you well. Welcome, welcome. I am your host, Mr. C, as always, and it's great to be here back with you guys again tonight for another episode of uh, um, news and information from throughout these states. Well, actually, today we will be focusing on the states. You know, yesterday we took a little field trip off to Russia and Ukraine, and boy, let me tell you what. I don't know about you guys, but I'm still pretty tired from that little field trip that we took yesterday. So much information to cover, right? So much information to cover. But we will stay, we will remain stateside throughout the, the duration of tonight's report uh, as we get into a couple of stories of note and uh, points of interest and uh, things to remember and uh, put in your notebooks and uh, not to forget to act on. Correct? Correct. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's what it's all about. That's what we got to do. And that's why we are here today. Uh, to stay informed and abreast and uh, um, in charge of all of that information which flies at us every single day you know i mean what with more mass shootings happening well I, I don't know if you would call them mass shootings but of course uh the left and the progressives would definitely call anything with a gun plus one as being a mass shooting so uh I, i'm sure at least when you get down to their statistics their logistics their schematics and their uh, reports that's uh that's how they define them right a gun plus one is a mass shooting and let's not forget about that demon in the gun. Remember, guys, we talked about that demon in the gun. Uh, you, th those things going on, of course, and a whole bunch of other issues uh, flying in and all around us. Uh, I have a feeling that things are not going to soon stop before we get to uh, the end of the year. Uh, I mean, we're already halfway there. They've got to pack as much in as they can. Uh, before we hit 2023, before we hit November, right? November is going to be a very particular moment in time for, I think, everyone situated on both sides of the screen and beyond, right? Because of the, uh, well, the primaries, guys. You know, the, it is, uh, it's almost as if, though, they were ramping up for something, uh, spectacular ladies and gentlemen i don't know what kind of spectacularness that they would uh, want to ramp up but you know uh, it seems like even in the alternatives even in the independents we're seeing a lot a lot muchos muchos of uh, of shooting and gun related stories you know and then, of course, uh, I mean, but, you know, that's on the bad side of things, obviously. Uh, that's the bad publicity, right? That's the if it bleeds, it leads stuff that the uh, Democrats and the leftists uh, depend on in order to uh, pull on people's heartstrings and emotions and irrationalities as opposed to uh, remaining level headed and thoughtful, that is to say, full of thought in regards to um, what is really going on 
with humanity and the weapon known as the firearm. The, the uh, assault weapon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so uh, just, just get everyone up in a tizzy, right? Uh, fortunately for the majority of us, we are level-headed, at least those in this audience, okay? Uh, we subscribe to uh, facts, not fiction. We subscribe to uh, reasoning and logic, not emotions. And uh, can remain cool-headed in uh, face of uh, such tragedies. And even as uh, the left continues to, uh, to try and take our guns, ladies and gentlemen, to try and strip us of our right to bear arms, right? Because what was it? We needed, to, uh, we needed to declare, we needed to define the Second Amendment, right? That the Second Amendment did not give us the right to bear arms, but rather imposed against the government their ability to take away our right to bear arms. I mean, if you want to get right down to the technical semantics of the way that um, amendment is written, uh, since it is a limiting document after all, it is not an expanding document, it's not a provisional document, it's not a document that grants us, but rather stops them. And uh, if it's not mentioned in the Constitution, then uh, it's, it's, it's game on, right? You know, I wish people would remember that, particularly, I mean, lawmakers, uh, when we're talking about things like decertification, right? Because, uh, after all, a limiting, a limiting document does not create and provide you with the pathways. It just tells you what you cannot do. And uh, there's nothing in uh, the Constitution that says that one could not rectify or decertify an election or decertify to rectify. Let's decertify to rectify the 2020 elections, ladies and gentlemen. And incidentally, that's going to be uh, kind of the topic we'll be resting on tonight as we head into the weekend with so many, whew, so many ideas, thoughts, processes, uh, just running through the brain and across the desk, ladies and gentlemen. It's like, where do I begin without feeling like an abject failure? Well, you know, we can always focus on the election integrity news. That is helpful, even if the root cause, or perhaps you could say the root uh, cure to that um, illness, that ailment of a fraudulent, fraudulent um, election is uh, rooted much more deep in something much more obscure that... Um, Teachers will not give you the answer to because you need to learn it yourself, right? But uh, that's just the way it goes sometimes. And I apologize if I'm being a little bit um, obscure myself, ladies and gentlemen. But, you know, you know, there's just a lot of information out there. Mm -hmm. A lot of information, comprehension, and um, uh, others, other things, right? Execution. Can uh, make one make one appear as if though either they just don't know what the hell they're doing and they're totally stupid to everything and every law and every point of view, or they're secretly working against America. Yeah, we've gotten to that point, ladies and gentlemen. It's either one or the other, but I think a point that should be extracted from that, ladies and gentlemen, is that. At the end of the day, right, at the end of the day, we are all in the same fight. Or are we, right? Are we? Am I? 
do I do enough to qualify to be in the fight and not a traitor to this government? I don't know. Fortunately for me, only I can judge that for myself. Because, you know, sometimes people just judge you so harsh, but, you know, some people judge themselves pretty harshly, too. We all know what we're doing here, we know what we're fighting for, and we know what we are providing in that fight. So, you know, I think we just need to, um, I think we need to uh, take heart in our strengths and our resolutions, uh, and just carry on, ladies and gentlemen, carry on. No one can judge your contribution to the restoration of this republic but yourself ladies and gentlemen and at the end of the day you know what they say like in those uh, uh when people are having um you know um uh reveries about uh what would you tell your grandchildren about this time in america and what you did to restore the republic and to defeat the deep state globalists who had taken over infiltrated and turned your country upside down you know you know, are you going to say, I released a thousand memes that fought against the lies and the uh, political correctness of the communist regime that tried to brainwash and propagandize the American people, which had done so successfully up until a point? Well, you know, memes have a way of reaching people that uh, broadcasts and newspapers and websites can't. But uh, as long as we're just doing memes, right, as long as we're just doing live streams, as long as we're just writing articles, as long as we're just publishing and searching for truth, let's just not forget to vote, right? <laughs> and, then the, and then there is another argument over that as well, you know, about, uh, about the uh, efficacy of all of the paths that we have taken. It's so easy to kind of poo-poo it, particularly when one understands the deeper, deeper root problems that apparently no one else seems to notice. I know if we're talking about a problem that's much deeper than the machines and the ballots and, uh, you know, just having the bought out, corrupt, paid for politicians and possibly a system to put them in order. Uh, well, then I would say if it's much deeper than that, you know, then, yeah, I don't I don't particularly see it. I mean, I could try and discover it, but I'm not saying that I wouldn't want to do the work, obviously, in regards to election security, election integrity, exposing election fraud. That is the name of the game. Our vote is worth more than anything else in this world. Our vote is symbolic of our freedom, our liberty, our ability to pursue happiness and self-determination. And even though that is true for those of us in America on paper, uh, because of a certain document called the United States Constitution and its amendments, uh, we are still free because um, the deep state, the globalists, the world interests have not found a way yet to dismantle that document in a way that uh, its citizens will not immediately uh, jump up out of their seats and out of their beds and arm themselves and uh, do whatever they got to do. Now, is that what we're going to do? No, right? We're not. We've made it this far without needing to rely on violent means, right? Uh, that reminds me again of... Uh, of um, uh, General Vallely, or General Vallely, however you pronounce his name, you know, 
you know, the uh, psychological operations general um, who um, infiltrated the Tea Party and turned it into a party of violence. And I quote, if I have to, uh, if I have to um, uh, do a bloody coup against this government because they've taken over America, me and the Tea Party will do it. Or I and the Tea Party. Pardon me, that was bad grammar. And that was also a very loosely quoted statement, okay? Those are not the exact words, not by any means. But that's what he said. You know, I heard him, I heard him myself. And man, you know, we could have really gotten into a little bit of General Valley today. Not getting into him, but just he he's made, he would have made a cameo. But we're staying in America today, right? Because, you know, um, the topic of regime change, which also actually quite fittingly falls into the election fraud category, which also incidentally falls in line with, I don't know, how the entire United States establishment deep state people who um, quite often are in charge of regime change also command elections in other countries but we're staying stateside tonight so we won't talk about general valeli valeli and uh you know how he trained the uh, free syrian army and assisted in trying to perform regime change in syria etc and yet somehow he is a loved and a um he's a loved and a well-respected general amongst maga patriots amongst uh you know uh, amongst uh, a Tea Party patriots, among, amongst America First patriots, who somehow missed the chapter in his book where he was arming rebels for regime change against um, uh, Syria there, guys. And uh, that was a what? An Obama administration operation, a deep state, a globalist operation, a CIA operation. But we gotta love him. We got to love General Valeli. Oh, for what, what, how does that how does that scripture go? My my people have fallen for lack of information or something like that. Or my people have fallen for believing misinformation or disinformation or for lack of desire to perform their own personal research and come to their own understanding for themselves, their own truths that their gut just drives into them but that is neither here nor there um we'll talk about Vileli Vileli soon yes Tam Growl hey Tam Growl what's up he is retired he is retired he is currently not training uh you know ISIS or rebels in Syria but he did he did uh he proudly admitted it by the way What's up, Sean Joe? Good evening. Thank you for the cookie. Oh, and Tam Girl, thank you for the can as well. Disco Ball Chaser, good to see you. Thank you so much for dropping the links in the chat room. Visit thecreport.com. I gave the um, homepage a, a facelift. So you guys can go check that out. I think it's much cleaner, right? Uh, so um, uh, you guys might enjoy that. Uh, actually published an article on there yesterday. Uh, not an article of my own, but one with permission uh, from Real Clear Investigations. Actually, that's right on the topic. Wow, I am just totally in sync with myself today, right? Uh, right on the topic of um, of regime change in Syria, actually. Actually, you know, because some more stuff is coming out. That is not even on the plate for tonight. We're not talking about Obama. We're not talking about Syria. We're not talking about regime change. We're not talking about, uh, you know, where the conclusion of Act 1 for the Durham investigation goes. You know, we are going into Act 2, 
right now, right? We're not, I mean, it's not done yet, okay? It's not done yet. Uh, I, I'm sure now that the dust has settled in regards to the conclusion of the Michael Sussman trial, and everyone has had their moments to go ahead and parse through all the various opinions and uh, informational sharing of viewpoints on the Michael Sussman trial, we can all kind of sit back and relax, right? Because it's not over yet, right? I mean, unless the next thing I get out of any of the independents or headlines is a photo of John Durham with a Mai Tai on the beach in the Caribbean with Bill Barr, I'm pretty sure that this investigation is not yet at its conclusion. Did not Act 1 leave us at a cliffhanger? What a show that was, right? Months and months and months and months and months of just lead up, lead, years of lead up, right? Years of questioning while everything was going on as it does in Washington, D.C., as it was business as usual, as uh, the American population was suffering at the conclusion of a stolen election and entered into uh, what? This brand, this fresh new hell of Joe Biden and his illegitimate administration, the, uh, the uh, Durham boat was slowly approaching, right? Ever steady, ever unwary. And uh, yeah, conclusion of Act 1 was quite the cliffhanger. Quite the cliffhanger. Sussman found innocent. What does this mean for President Trump and the uh, American people as they try to, uh, they try to uh, get... Hillary Clinton and the deep state forces behind bars with justice served cold or hot. What could it possibly mean? Well, what it means is we are about to enter into Act 2. Uh, this is the intermission, ladies and gentlemen. This is the intermission. At the intermission of Act 2 of the um, Michael Sussman trial, the John Durham investigations, we return you to your regular election integrity stories, ladies and gentlemen. So welcome, welcome, welcome. I think that's good enough of an open, don't you? Hey, Deplore Laura, what's going on? Good to see you, my lady. Both in, you are on two platforms at one time. How do you do it? Glad to have you with us tonight. I'm sure the friends are happy to see you as well. And, uh, and as well, the lights are happy to be on over at the Twitch. And it is Blonde Blue Lady Q. Good evening, Blonde Lady Q. It is good to see you, my dear old friend. Uh, and thank you for gifting the cookies. Uh, one from she and one from Just V. Oh, I'm so glad. You know, we all miss Just V over here uh, at the Foxhole and at the Sea Report. You know, uh, we'll always be grateful for the moment and the t moments and the time that I had to get to know Just V. You know, she was she was a very close friend of this show, and uh, well, my heart, my love, eternal. And uh, I know she's looking down on us all. You know, just V is up there and she's saying, ha ha, I know how this ends. <laughs> and then she says, you forgot God wins, right? Anyways, <laughs> always amongst friends with, uh, within this, these circles, I'd say. Always amongst friends. So yes, indeed. Um, glad to have you with us tonight, Blonde Blue Lady Q. Glad to have you with us. Uh, enjoy your stay. Uh, Slug Trail, good evening. Good to see you in the chat room. Glad to see uh, you guys are kind of, uh, you know, shuffling on in here. We're about to get into our report for tonight. As I said, oh, look at Deplore Laura says, I brought a friend tonight. Sissy Chrissy is her name. Oh, well, hello, Sissy Chrissy. Welcome to the C Report. My name is Mr. C, also known as Michael Aaron Cossidis, and we are just about to get into it, right? 
we're just about to get into it. Um, so, you know, we start our, um, we start our C reports here or our reports at the C report, um, um, post, uh, you know, monologue or opening, you know, I don't know when I started doing these monologues and these openings, but sometimes, you know, if I go for an hour, someone like just pump my brakes, please. <laughs> I know some of you guys would, uh, anyhow. So, uh, we start our, uh, reports with, um, a few words from the president President Trump, in general, leads here at the Sea Report, and uh, he always has since day one, pretty much, pretty much, yeah, I think, I think every report we've started with a statement from President Trump, but of course, you know, these days, President Trump, he has, uh, he is how you say, um, he, he's modernized, right, so he no longer does the email statements, right, or the parchment statements turned into do Word documents and then, uh, uh, you know, shared throughout all of the emails. It looks like, it looks like we're choking up over there at the foxhole. Oh, it's, it's eight o'clock. That's right. There's more important shows on right now. Okay. Well, we'll see how that goes. It's a good thing you're over here on Twitch, Deplore Lore, because it looks like I just get bombed. I just got bombed at the foxhole. Anyways, so um, uh, as I was saying, President Trump has modernized. Uh, you know, with Truth Social and all guys, we have him over here. At, there we go. We're back on. We're back on, I think. There we go. Okay, excellent. Excellent. Good job, Foxhole, Q, uh, foxhole Crew. Pardon me. I don't know how it was for you guys over there, but over here, I got dropped. All right. Okay. So, uh, yes, with the uh, advent of um, Truth Social, mm -hmm, Truth Social, um, uh, Trump has returned to the social media streams. And, uh, well, you know, that's where we go to retrieve our statements from the president these days. Let's see what this first one has to say. It's in no particular order, these statements. It was on this great day, exactly three days ago, which was exactly four years ago, that I signed the absolutely wonderful Right to Try bill. After 56 years of failure, I got it done. So many lives saved, so much hope given. You know, the Right to Try, yeah, indeed, indeed. But I got to say, I got to say, you know, um... He, this was in uh, 2019, 2020. No, no, Right to Try, I think, was 2019. Okay, 2019. It was in 2020 that President Trump signed the... What was the executive order? I think, yeah, the executive order that... Uh, what was it called? It was called the... Um, it was called the, uh, lo the Lowest Cost Medication Executive Order. No, that's not what it was called. It was called, like, the... Uh, the friendly cost or, you know, what, I don't remember what the name of it was, but basically that was the one that forced uh, pharmaceutical companies to lower their costs of the medications in America to the lowest cost given to any other country. So, you know, if, uh, if, um, I don't know, if, if Canada received our pharmaceutical medications for like, I don't know, five cents for like, Five cents per pill for diabetes, then that is the same that we would have to have that matched here in the States. Now, of course, they undid that. Okay, they undid that. Um, it never really got into full swing. Along with that one was also the mandatory. Oh, great. Now I'm now I'm blinking out over here on my end. It's like these uh, it's like these trolls and these gremlins are toggling between my computers. 
give me a minute, guys. I, I'm pretty sure I'm not on the air right now. Let me, uh, there we go. Am I back? I might be frozen for a minute. Uh, the gremlins are toggling, the ghosts are toggling between my computers right now. Uh, hold on. Uh, <laughs> are you hanging on over there, Deplore Laura? All right. Um, I'm just going to put in the foxhole chat. I know I'm frozen. Now, for those of you in the Foxhole chat, I'm uh, putting I Know I'm Frozen at 8.13. And, and see how long it takes before you hear me say, and Foxhole chat, I'm putting I Know I'm Frozen in the chat at 8.13. Just wondering. Okay, cool. Anyways, yeah, thank you, Laura. Uh, Deplora. <laughs> Laura Deplora, thank you. Yeah, so that never got underway, but also along with that was the mandatory hospital must show the prices of everything that they are charging their people beforehand, like a menu, right? That obviously never took off. But the right to try, yes, the right to try. Um, because it is our right to try, right? Who, who, who do those doctors think they are, right? That they could tell us that we cannot try medication just because they don't think that it's good for us? Whatever. Okay, let's see what this next statement from President Trump says. The young, ambitious, radical left Democrat prosecutor from Georgia, who is presiding over one of the most crime-ridden and corrupt places in the United States of America, Fulton County, has put together a grand jury to investigate an absolutely perfect phone call to the Secretary of State. Many lawyers from both sides were knowingly on the call. I also assumed it was taped. Here, let me remove that banner so you can see it. Uh, it was taped. I called to fight a rigged and stolen election, and they go after me instead of the people that rigged and stole it. God bless America. Indeed, indeed. God bless America, President Trump, because uh, we're going to need as many blessings as we can get uh, with everything that we're facing right now. I'd say we've had several blessings if you if you consider uncovering information and discovering uh, the machinations of uh, their 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 ploys, their plots, and their schemes. Those are blessings, right? I would consider those blessings. Those are things that we did not used to know. That's the light that we did not have in the dark. That is, uh, that is the information that was necessary to ensure that it doesn't happen again, right? And, and you know, we could place as many types of safeguards in order to stop election fraud in the future. First, we got to fix it, right? We haven't fixed it yet. I mean, look at 2021's elections. Look at 2022's elections. 2022's elections were even worse so far than 2021. Worse by far than 2021. In 2021, we had some we had some hiccups with the machines, right? Uh, Republicans not allowed to vote in uh, Pennsylvania or Georgia. You know, uh, 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 screens not showing the right um, um, candidates on you know certain precincts. Uh, and not accepting ballots for certain political parties. That was about some of the stuff that we saw in 2021, right? Still with the machines, okay. Still with the machines, but um, in 2022, oh, the dreaded election week plus 14. Oh, wait, should I say the election half month, right? Yeah, you guys know I'm talking about Pennsylvania, and obviously, you know, some of us know uh, the results of that um, election that I'm talking about in Pennsylvania, right? Is it over yet? 
yeah, we will be addressing that tonight. It's on the menu. It's on the menu uh, to talk about Pennsylvania, McCormick, and Oz. For those of you who don't know, well, I'm not going to be a spoil sport, and uh, you'll you'll just have to wait till we get there. It's not too far off. It's not too far off. But um, yeah, blessings indeed. But yeah, you know, instead of uh, going after those who stole and rig it, what did they do in Georgia? They award one of the election fraudsters with uh with a prestigious John F Kennedy uh in the face of all opposition you defeated the republicans award right no that's not the name of it it's it's the wall of dishonor right an honorary award given to uh one of the fraudsters one of the individuals who assisted in the theft of the elections was caught on camera okay caught on camera pulling out bins of ballots okay from underneath tables they'd been hiding there all day long you know and then caught on camera quadruple and quintuple stuffing the same ballots into the ballot counting machines which undoubtedly undoubtedly if you guys recall garland favorito and voter ga's um uh, press conference on the digital, um, the digital copies of the ballots, the electronic copies of the ballots. Do you guys remember? They were like, yeah, and we found batches with ballots that were exactly identical from, you know, the, the, the errant marking on the page uh, down to the number, down to the way the circle was filled out. They were exactly identical. Undoubtedly, that was the work of Wandrea Shamos. Caught triple, quadruple, and quintuple stuffing the same ballot on camera. But uh, this uh, Secretary of State, and I think that uh, President Trump is rather kind not to refer to him as a Secretary of Snakes, Brad Raffensperger, declared that found footage, right, CCTV, you know, found footage to have been an urban legend that never happened. And the tapes never existed. And all of the awake Americans who were looking at the alternative papers that reported on those stories were seeing but a figment of their imagination. That does not exist. It was but a Mandela effect that happened on that night, election night plus five in Georgia at the State Farm Arena. Yeah. So instead of going after Wandrea Shamos and everyone else who uh, um, contributed to the severe mismanagement of the elections in Fulton County, they're going after President Trump for saying, find me 11,000 votes, right? Because 11,000 votes plus, that was, that was the number of fraud. That was, actually, that's not the number of fraud. I take that back. That's the number by which illegitimate Joe was pushed across the finish line. Now, if you can imagine, and I always found this to be a very, 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 um, funny point, right? It's, it's like, it's one of those like jesting points, right? They had to create so many fake ballots, so many unlawful ballots, so many counterfeits to push Joe a mere 11,000 votes over the line, a mere 11,000 ballots, right? Not votes. He received 11,000 ballots more than Trump, not votes. There were not 11,000 plus votes for Biden. It, they were just ballots. They were unlawful ballots. They did not represent anyone's vote. They did not symbolically represent anyone's freedom, liberty, you know, or right to self-determination because they were ballots, 
not votes, okay? No one voted on those ballots. Those ballots, who knows who voted on those? The ghosts in my machine voted on those ballots, ladies and gentlemen. Anyways, getting back to my point, they had to create so many fraudulent ballots just to push Joe 11,000 over. Can you imagine how much of a deficit Joe actually had? All across the board, right? All across the board. That's pretty crazy, right? Because there are obviously more than 11,000 fraudulent ballots in Fulton County alone. But that is what they're going after him for. I mean, we're having, it's, it's like we're having a Ukraine phone call all over again, right? Uh, I, I wish this time the DA or maybe even Brad Raffensperger had made up the phone call, right? And uh, President Trump was like, uh, um, and I'm only going to say this once, and I might say it seven more times, but I'm not going to say it again. I need some reciprocity here. We have to have reciprocity, Bradford Raffensperger. Reciprocity is key, Bradford Raffensperger. Just like a watermelon head, pencil neck, shifty shift, right? Use the word reciprocity and everyone will believe it was President Trump, undoubtedly, right? Anyhow, yeah, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. I mean, if the, uh, if the grand jury, if the, and this is the way it seems, guys, so don't be surprised. If uh, the judiciary in uh, Fulton County, Georgia, or indeed the entire state of Georgia is anything like Washington, D.C., then we could probably expect the same outcome, right, as it was in the Sussman case. Uh, and perhaps our Garland Favorito moment will be that it will um, suss out, no pun intended, all of the uh, corruption therein. Because, uh, I don't know, I mean, you know, rhinos, guys, rhinos are much more dangerous than Democrats. And we got, what, nothing but Democrats in Washington, D.C. And in Georgia, we have a whole bunch of Republicans that act like leftist socialist progressives. Which means they're far more dangerous because they have fooled everyone in Georgia into believing that they are conservative and they are not. One thing that they most definitely are, they most definitely are anti-Trumpers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see here. All right. So what do we got next, guys? Uh, I don't usually go off that far on a President Trump statement. Now, this is this is a five-day aged statement. It's aged like fine wine, though, I would say. A uh, statement from President Trump. I'm in Houston. That was like a week ago, guys. Getting ready to go to the big rally in Wyoming. That was less than a week ago. Watching Fox News putting on a Democrat after Democrat. What's up with that, right? Right? But yet still we had half of Pennsylvania rooting, hooting, and hollering uh, accolades of approval for the likes of Sean Hannity. Mm-hmm. What is going on at Fox? Oh, is President Trump finally starting to ask the question? Is he finally starting to see the light? CNN and MSNBC don't put on Republicans, which may be why they are dying in the ratings. They also don't put on opposing commercials, which Fox has become famous for doing. I loved the old Fox. Anyway, stayed at the old po the Post Oak Hotel. It was a really good. All right, so we got a hotel review and a good question of concern against Fox News. Uh, maybe... That's just to wake up all of the uh, conservatives um, and to wake up the rest of the awake Americans that still think that Fox is the bread and butter of the Republican conservative party. That still think that the Republican party is the bread and butter of their personal ideals and beliefs in regards to uh, 
the Constitution, the Republic, its restoration. Hopefully those awake Americans will wake up because we're living in an era that we cannot afford to succumb to the deception of rhinos, fake conservatives, fake patriots, and the likes, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to totally wash our hands of them. Uh, we're at that point. It's crucial at this moment, guys. Now, does that mean that we're going to divide the party? No, obviously not, because they are not truly on the side of America, Fox News or Sean Hannity. I'm not saying the entire, the entire network, although, I mean, I'd say 99% of it, right? It's not like Newsmask, right? Newsmask still has good reporters. It's just that the entire agency in itself, it's a huge deception, right? It is, uh, it is what you call one of those Judas goats. Mm -hmm. Judas goats. Just ask Mike Lindell all about it. He'll tell you. Mm -hmm. He will tell you. News mask will take you to the mountaintop, but they will not take you to the promised land, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's see, what's this next statement? It says, uh, I believe that racist and corrupt AG Attorney General James is pushing businesses and wealthy people to leave New York for friendly states. Not sustainable by New York State. Ah, uh, yeah. Yet another example of a corrupt attorney general. We'll be talking about corrupt attorney general later on in the show. All right, and let's see. I think this is, this may not be the last statement. What does it got to say? It says, isn't it amazing that despite proof of massive fraud, irregularities, and without question, the fact that state legislatures did not approve much of the many changes made to the rules and regulations of the 2020 presidential election, which is unquestionably and absolutely required by law, the, the, the fake news media in a well-coordinated unison like has never seen before calls it all the big lie. How wrong they are. And at some point, a brilliant, brave, and sturdy judge will step forward. Now, do you guys think that uh, perhaps President Trump was heralding a brilliant, sturdy, and brave judge? Or do you think he was putting out a call? <laughs> he was putting out a call of a... Uh, He's putting out a call for judges, right, uh, to finally step it up. Because after all, guys, uh, the Sussman case is fresh on everyone's mind as far as the corruption of judiciary, right, and the judicial system. Uh, the, the Sussman case, I mean, this is the prime time to strike, right, with a judge that will just knock one off one's feet at how well they observe the Constitution, the rule of law, logic, common sense, right? And respect, especially because, uh, after all, everyone can see what went down, and it's pretty crappy and disrespectful that the judge thinks that they're above it. But apparently the entire jury in the Sussman case thought that they were above it. Because, uh, after all, uh, that case amounted to, like, jury nullification. Um, but it was called acquittal. Anyhow, yeah, we, we need a good, strong ju judicial um, um, representative, official, 
to step up now. Now is the time, ladies and gentlemen, now is the time. A final statement from the good old president, at least for tonight anyways. Murder, rape, human trafficking, drug dealing, and assaults of all kinds are just about uh, at an all-time high in Fulton County, Georgia, and yet the Democrat DA is spending vast amounts of time, energy, and money going after me for making a perfect phone call instead of the criminals that are systemically, uh, systematically destroying our nation. Even the Washington Compost was forced to do a major retraction on this ever-continuing witch hunt. You know, that's actually a good point, you know. Being that the lefties and the Democrats like to use their own publications in order to strengthen their cases, maybe someone should uh, pull out that copy of the Washington Compost, right? They'll be like, you know, you have used the Washington Compost as evidence that your case is valid, Adam Shifty Shift, right? Or uh, Robert Mueller Mueller. No, I mean, Mueller didn't actually... Yeah, he leaked, didn't he? Mueller leaked. So... And he, they used their own uh, propaganda agencies as evidence that they had proof because the paper said so. But what it was was this really disgusting and sick and psychotic and sociopathic uh, circle of wrap-up smear campaigns and, and uh, you know, uh, and validation that amounted to nothing when, uh, you know, President Trump was... Um, found uh, totally innocent of any type of Russia collusion, right? And even, as in the reference to this perfect phone call with um, Bradford Raffensperger, the Secretary of Snakes, that this Democrat DA is, uh, you know, trying to... Um, I would say she's just trying to bring home a trophy, right? She's just trying to bring home the head of Donald Trump. She wants to mount it on her wall, just like Cy uh, Vance Cyrus Jr., Cyrus Vance Jr. That's exactly... He was a DA in New York, and he was like, well, before I retire this Christmas. I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna have this big old Trump trophy. I was able to get uh, Trump to um, uh, be indicted and to sit on the stand. Of course, um, Cy Va Cyrus Vance Jr. had no such winnings or trophies. Right? He he retired from uh, his position as district attorney in New York on that Christmas Eve. And ladies and gentlemen, it was not a good Christmas. For Cyrus Vance Jr. But that's what that reminds me about this Democrat DA. They just want to make a name for themselves. They want to be able to say that they took down Trump just like Attorney General Letitia James in New York, right? All of these ego mongers, right, that just want to put a feather in their hat, you know, uh, and, and be able to say they are the ones who did this because certainly their names will go down in history. Well, their names will go down in history for something, okay? But maybe not for what their intentions are. And um, yeah, you know, someone should just be like, hey, DA Fulton County woman Democrat, do you see this? The Washington Compost had to retract. That means you have no case. We'll see if that happens, right? <laughs> We'll see if that happens, but uh, good idea. I think that's a that's a smashingly good idea, actually. I think uh, if one really wants to get down to the nitty gritty, use their own tactics against themselves. Hey, it, it works best that way. Use their own words against them. Use their own actions against them. Use their own tactics against them. And uh, yeah, what can they do, right? But, deny, but say, look over there, right? Maybe. I don't know. They might. 
Uh, what is President Trump so happy about here? What do you think, guys? Uh, he's doing his one-two shuffle punch, right? Love it. Love it when he does that. Resolution to expunge President Trump of his second impeachment has uh, seemingly come up in the bout. So this is a good thing, guys, because uh, after all, what were they trying to do? Impeach Trump two times and then pass a bill that says that anyone who's been impeached two times cannot seek re-election? Gah! Can they be any more obvious about who they do not want back in office, right? Can they be any more obvious about their absolute disdain and repugnance of the very existence of one individual by the name of Donald John Trump? obvious right and when it gets obvious guys it gets kind of like cartoonish and obnoxious and um it just makes it makes them look a certain way it makes them look like they're revealing to us exactly who they are right uh this article here i think it's from the epoch no just the news stefanic mullen introduce resolution to expunge post january 6 trump impeachment excellente ladies and gentlemen Excellente. It says significant GOP support for the resolution indicates continued loyalty to Trump nearly 18 months after he left office. House GOP conference, conference chairwoman Elise Stefanik and roughly 28 other chamber Republicans are backing a resolution to expunge the second impeachment of President Trump. The effort, first reported by The Daily Beast, is being led by Oklahoma Representative Mark Wayne Mullen. It would apply to Trump's 2021 impeachment, which occurred in the wake of the January 6th Capitol riot, false flag riot. Mullen previously introduced a similar measure on Trump's first impeachment, which centered on the accusation that Trump was withholding military aid from Ukraine in exchange for politically salient favors. Though the effort will not pass the Democrat-led chamber, significant support for it underscores continuing GOP conference support for the president, Donald Trump, nearly a year and a half after he left office. If passed, the resolution states that it would be as though the articles of impeachment had never passed the House of Representatives. Democrats used their second impeachment resolution to once again weaponize one of the most grave and consequential powers of the House, Mullen said. This was never about the Constitution. It was rooted in personal politics. It was rooted in desperation and self-preservation tactics, if you ask me, ladies and gentlemen. Stefanik, who is supporting the bill, along with GOP House Conference Vice Chairman Mike Johnson, said, The American people know Democrats weaponize the power of impeachment against President Donald Trump to advance their own extreme political agenda. President Donald Trump was rightfully acquitted, and it is past time to expunge Democrats' sham smear against not only President Trump's name, but against millions of patriots across the country. Mullen is seeking to replace retiring Senator Jim Inhofe in an upcoming special election. All right, Tam Growl, you got a special election coming up in Oklahoma. All right, go Mullen, go Oklahoma. All right. Awesome, awesome, awesome. There's a little bit of good news for you guys on a Friday night as we take you into the weekend. Let's see what else we got for you guys. Oh, isn't it? Don't you guys just love these two? I just love, love, love that uh, True the Vote and Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips are basically a household name. 
amongst awake Americans and patriots and uh, constitution lovers and uh, restorationists of the Republic. Don't you guys? They deserve it. They deserve it. Talk about going down in history, right? Well, um, yeah, 2000 Mules, uh, the documentary by Dinesh D'Souza that was created because of the uh, investigative material that was provided to them by True the Vote, the grassroots uh, organization out of Texas that has blown the lid wide open on ballot trafficking, yet another method of fraud that was utilized in the 2020 election. And to close that circle of thought on you know, uh, the deeper roots of uh, election theft, right? At least by way of every avenue, path, and road that we have been down since 2020, November 3, coup. We have discovered so many various ways, creative ways, um, you know, and, and rotten ways to steal an election that when we finally do secure that, at least we know to check our list of like 20 or 30 different ways that you can steal an election. Because trust me, guys, they utilized at least two dozen, at least two dozen different ways uh, during 2020. Okay. Even though there might be a deeper underlying root cause, which incidentally, we actually talked about. Uh, when was it? What show was that we talked about that on? I think it was a show or two ago. Anyways, let's not get into that. Okay, you're, but Mr. C, how could you abscond from your duty as a patriot and hide this information? Are you a gatekeeper, Mr. C? No, it's just because I don't really understand the whole depth and breadth of it. And maybe when I do, I will be able to explain it. <laughs> Anyhow, guys. Okay, so 2,000 Mules. We're still seeing fallout from this documentary, okay? We are still seeing a fallout from this documentary. And by fallout, I mean... Things are falling out and falling apart for the uh, fraudsters, the leftists, the progressives, the Democrats, right? Who organized, orchestrated the majority of it. Now, we cannot say that it was 100% the leftists and the, and the uh, Democrats and the progressives. We cannot put onus entirely on them, you know, because where they are the ones who drove the bus, right... Uh, it seems that uh, the Republican Party are the ones that cut the power, uh, cut the stop the traffic lights, right? And they allowed that bus of fraud and coup to continue on down the road without stopping it, okay? You know? So the Democrats drove the bus and the Republicans cut the traffic lights and that's where we are today. So we cannot blame it totally on the Democrats, right? Just as election integrity is a nonpartisan issue, okay? Um, uh, accountability for election fraud is a non-partisan issue. And I think a lot of us still need to see the light in that regard, okay? To see the light in that regard. I really, really do, guys. I really do. So anyhow, so 2,000 Mules and True the Vote continue to change opinions on election fraud in 2020. We had a new poll come out that finds that the majority of Democrats and independents strengthened their convictions about widespread fraud in 2020 elections after watching 2,000 Mules. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's take a gander. It says here, the documentary film 2,000 Mules created by Dinesh D'Souza irrefutably confirms the widespread belief that Democrats stole the election in 2020. Now, 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 don't we just talked about accountability being nonpartisan. 
Okay, so yes, in the film, as we all know, D'Souza and True the Vote prove through geo-tracking and video evidence that Democrats used an illegal ballot trafficking network to manipulate the election results in a scheme that involved every single battleground state and probably every single state in this nation. Which I don't doubt, right? Because New Mexico was not a battleground state. And what did they find in uh, the county north of Otero? Otero County? Yeah, they found evidence of ballot trafficking. Uh, the mainstream media, the legacy media, including Fox News, boycotted any coverage of 2000 Mules, while the Republican Party and GOP have yet to mention the film on any of its websites or social media pages or websites. And despite the effort to debunk and discount the 2000 Mules, 40% of likely voters are aware of the historic documentary that's pretty good, guys. 40% of likely voters. And uh, at least 20 million voters have seen the film, according to a new Rasmussen poll. Even Democrats don't believe Biden was legitimately elected. The survey shows a majority of likely Democrat and independent voters strengthened their convictions of widespread fraud during the 2020 presidential election after watching this bombshell expose. Americans know that the 2020 election was stolen and 2,000 mules provides evidence, right? If they say there was no evidence of election fraud, you go, you go watch 2,000 mules right now and then talk to me about it. And uh, we'll see what you think about that. So on Tuesday, we had um, True the Vote doing their first post-2,000 mules uh, a state hearing, right? It was before a panel of the of the House and the Senate in Arizona. Uh, we watched it live here, guys. Had a really late C report that night, um, but just uh, just a couple of points that I wanted to touch on since we're talking about True the Vote and Two Thousand Mules um, is, and also because during the hearing, uh, the video that we're about to show you. Um, did not have good sound quality and some leftist reporter's phone was going off during it. So we wanted to share, I wanted to share the video with you guys that I, I did not even realize what the contents of the video were because of all the distractions and the terrible sound quality. Uh, but it's actually, it's, it's because uh, Catherine Engelbert kept saying it's heartbreaking what this whistleblower shared. So it's a video of, of a whistleblower uh, in Yuma County talking about ballot trafficking in her neighborhood, in her town, in her city, right? And, you know, for the life of me, I did not get the connect between uh, the severity of what Catherine Engelbrecht was trying to uh, express in this hearing versus what was in that video. And it's, it's like a minute and a half, two minutes long. Um, but it, it's really, really, it, it's really quite shaking, guys. Um, and again, this is one of two whistleblowers in the Arizona area. I think there might be more. And I think it also should be noted that that was also one of the themes that ran throughout this hearing uh, on both the parts of True the Vote, uh, Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrick, and also the Arizona lawmakers uh, that um, made up that bench that was... Um, that was um, uh, uh, participating in the hearing, you know? And, and the theme was this. Whistleblowers, you need to come forward now. You know, come forward now, whistleblowers. You'll be protected, okay? Uh, your name will not be leaked. You know, Greg Phillips right now is um, sitting on top of uh, subpoenas that he's defying 
from the state of Georgia and the Secretary of Snake's office, Brad Raffensperger, who wants to know the identification, not only of the whistleblower in Georgia, but also of his family, okay, and their addresses, and probably all of their cousins and all of their uncles and, and all of their nieces and nephews and grandparents, because you know what? They're probably going to send the GBI after them. They're going to probably send the GBI after them. And Greg said, I am not going to give Brad Raffensperger the name of these whistleblowers. Screw that, right? It's, for, it's his duty first as an investigative journalist or as an investigator into fraud or whatever it is to protect the names of his whistleblowers. And both True the Vote and also the Arizona panel assured any whistleblowers that if they stepped forward, not only would it be better for them in the long run, right? Because after all, they have all of their geopolitical, geopolitical, geo, geolocation um, information, uh, but that they would also be safe. Okay, so let's start with this um, um, brief video about one of the whistleblowers in Yuma that we all pretty much missed because of, again, technicalities and a rude, particip a rude audience member. And, and then we'll follow up on that thought about the whistleblowers, geolocation information, and where we go forward from there, okay? Which was the second point I wanted to share about the hearing from Arizona on Tuesday, okay? Now, you know, I just talk so much about this, I don't think I need to read this article. <laughs> it's exactly what I said, right? I'm pretty sure I expressed all the fine points. It says, uh, in the video, an unidentified female whistleblower outlines how elections are determined by a group of criminals who inflict fear upon their community. And I'll leave it there so you can hear it from her, her you can hear it in her own words, guys. And like I said, uh, Catherine Engelbrecht was really trying to express exactly how harrowing and disturbing this whistleblower's testimony was. And I totally did not connect with it. And when I saw this, I was like, I need to make sure my audience understands exactly how bad it is. And how when we're talking about ballot trafficking, you know, it's not like what we got coming out of Georgia is that these traffickers, these Antifers were paid, right? It seems like in Yuma County, they're not paid. They're not paid. They're threatened. So let's take a look. Because where I live, you can have a voice. If you stand up or if you want to even run against them, you will be shouted. And even I know people who have tried to run via council or major or just anything, and they have been even, they have lost their houses, their lives, everything. They have just run away from that people. That I have been afraid? Yeah, of course. If you work for the city or if you work for the um, school board, because we have the Gatton District uh, uh, School Board. If you are an employee over there, you have to keep uh, your your ballot open to them, so they can see that you are voting for you, where you are supposedly have to vote for. So they just know that, or somebody tells them. They tell them that. They ha it has to be like that. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. They are not chips. They are wolves. 
they are eating our community. They are really eating our community. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Mr. C from The C Report, and I'm stopping in for just a sec to encourage you guys to head over to thecreport.com. At thecreport.com, you can get more information on The C Report, check out episode resources, follow our blog and get new articles every week, join our mailing list, and stay abreast on the latest news and information. That's right, head on over to thecreport.com. That's www.thecreport.com and be sure to follow us on our social medias Truth Social, Rumble, Twitch, Clout Hub, and Pilt.net. Abra tus ojos! Abra tus ojos! Open your eyes! Open your eyes! That is insane. Okay, so, you know, and when we um, we listened to the whistleblower testimony from uh, one of the investigators, so I guess he wasn't a whistleblower, right? One of the investigators, and he was talking about, if you guys recall, he was talking about how it was like, it was like a cartel, the way that they handled the ballot trafficking, right? Like, you, when you think about mules, obviously, you think about drug mules. I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And they are under duress. Their lives are endangered. And um, isn't it crazy that that same method is used to steal elections? That's like, you don't think that things get that extreme, right? But that, this example alone should really spell out to all of us, ladies and gentlemen, exactly how serious these criminals take elections, right? While, while the majority of America is asleep, apathetic, and doesn't care to go vote, they'll let someone else do it, right? These people are like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't recognize exactly how important that vote is, Okay. I think all of us should take something away from that, but that's just what I think, right? So where do we go from here, right? Where do we go from here? Um, because again, that's the question that's on everyone's mind. You know, they have the information just like the Arizona Forensic Audit. We've got the information. It's laid out for all of us here. Now let's arrest some people, right? Let's arrest some people. Now, uh, I've already shared with you guys, you know, next kind of proper steps would be they have to give it to law enforcement or they have to give it to their attorney general, you know, and, and then they would have to do their own investigation and then they would be the ones to issue the uh, arrest warrants, etc. Um, that's what uh, that's what happens. That's what happens now that True the Vote has handed that over to a state committee that is going to review that. And then, you know, they're going to act on that and it has to go to law enforcement after that. So, um, Greg Phillips laid this out in the, uh, in the hearing, the informational hearing, um, and also clarified the next steps for identifying the mules and how they would go about doing that. So I just thought I would share that bit of a ditty with you guys as well. Uh, let's go ahead and toe. Let me let me uh, mute this first because it might play a commercial. 
It might play a commercial. It's been on hold long enough. Oh, it's not. Excellent. Okay, excellent. Okay, cool. All right, so here is another uh, brief video uh, from the hearing itself. Uh, and this is Greg Phillips talking about the next steps forward on the path to prosecution and arrests for the mules and for those who committed fraud. And the, and the ringleaders, I would say, too. Far the biggest challenge that we have by far is once we get to this point and you see what you see up on the screen there and we have that unique device ID, we have all of the stamps on when they went, where they went, what happens? Going back to that Supreme Court case that Catherine mentioned a few moments ago, it's, it's critically important that everyone um, understands what has to happen when we give the data to someone. It's a not so bright line that we face when we go to the attorney general or we go to the FBI or we go to really any law enforcement to know sort of when is enough enough. In this particular case, the Supreme Court helped us clarify that. Um, if we go to them with a name um, or with a, you know, where we think this person lives or whatever, um, it's, it's, likely not actionable by law enforcement, according to the United States Supreme Court. What they have to do is they have to take our information from us, open an investigation, go to the court and ask the court for an administrative subpoena to get T-Mobile or AT&T or whomever to unmask that individual. This is also the reason, if any of you saw the movie, that that we said that the, the, you may recall a discussion that Catherine and I had with Dinesh about whether or not January 6th could have happened the way that it, the way that they claimed that it did. So on a Tuesday, the event happens Tuesday afternoon. By Wednesday, they had already identified who all of the people were. By Thursday, they had already unmasked all, all of them, or I'm sorry, gone to the court, unmasked all of them. And then gone back and to the to the grand jury to issue their first arrest warrants by Friday. It's it's just not possible. They were tracking these people. Some tracking these people going probably back into October or early November. It's it it's simply not possible to go from zero to to arrests in three days with this information especially when you're only using Google information. So, so it, it, we, we bring that up because we've been stung a few times and including today um, relative to this topic, we can give this information, the broad information, the signals that we have. It's questionable whether we can share even our assumptions about them. Um, for instance, we know, you know, if we've got their pattern of life. We've got all their signals. I can tell you where people work, where they sleep, who they sleep next to. I mean, we have a lot of information about these folks, but it's irrelevant to law enforcement in seeking to exploit this data and use this data for um, uh, for law enforcement purposes. I'm going to skip over on, on something here. It's one of the reasons we are super excited. Catherine and I are working with Sheriff Lamb and, and other sheriffs around the country 
to help try to create a, a framework upon which we can work together so that when citizens do come up with this information and one of you guys sends us a video or one of y'all sends us some other information, we can go match it up with some of this and then get it to the appropriate uh, sheriff in the appropriate manner at the appropriate time. So we're, we're working on it, but it's, it's an exciting time for us. The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. Every donation counts and every bit helps. Show your support for the sea report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash the sea report and thanks y'all all right there you go guys that was uh true the vote giving us the next steps on uh, forward in the case you of know, we've got the pattern of lies excuse me sir excuse me thank you greg i appreciate it <laughs> Our next steps, uh, as far as that goes, um, clipped that out, guys. I'll have I'll have the um, true the vote hearing clips available at my Rumble account uh, before the end of the weekend, guys. So look forward to that in case you guys want to review them. Just the nice little juicy nuggets from that. But um, well, that those are the next steps forward, right? So that's a great clarification for all of us, I think, in case any of us are getting antsy and we want to find out. And uh, we will, well, I'll be paying attention to that anyways, and uh, I will bring it right to you guys as soon as. But it sounds like they already have a plan of action in mind, right? They already have a plan of action in mind. So our last Arizona story for this evening uh, is going to be about uh, more unlawful or invalid. Well, you know, they would be considered unlawful, actually. Unlawful ballots, right? Yet another means of uh, election fraud that occurred in 2020 during the elections. Uh, So let's see, we have a new report that finds that 19,000 invalid ballots were counted in the 2020 Arizona election. How crazy, right? Imagine that, 19,000 ballots. 19,000 unlawful ballots. What does the story have to say? Epoch Times says... Um, 19,000 late unlawful ballots were counted in Arizona 2020 election. It says with the 2022 midterm elections around the corner, scrutiny of the uh, 2020 election continues to raise questions about election integrity, including a newly identified anomaly in Maricopa County, Arizona. Arizona law requires that to be considered valid, ballots must be received by the county no later than 7 p.m. on election day. But newly uncovered records documenting the Maricopa County 2020 general election show that while uh, show that while more than 20,000 ballots were transported from the U.S. Postal Service, 
after Election Day, Maricopa County only rejected 934 late ballots in its early voting rejections summary document. This means more than 19,000 late invalid ballots should have been rejected. That is significant because it is enough to potentially sway the results of Arizona's presidential election, which rested with a final tally of Joe Biden winning the state illegitimately with 10,457 more votes, more ballots than Donald Trump. It is impossible to know if the results would be different if the late ballots had not been counted in Maricopa County. The early voting rejection summary is just one of the documents telling the story. County documents were obtained by Verity Vote, a group of citizen volunteers with data research and investigation backgrounds who have been investigating the 2020 election results throughout the country. Uh, Verity Vote recently released a report detailing this investigation. So it goes into how the ballots move. It says to understand the anomaly, it is important to know how ballots are moved in Maricopa County, which uses drop boxes and early mail-in voting. A truck driven by a Maricopa County Elections Department employee picks up ballots at least once a day. The collection starts at the Maricopa County Tabulation and Election Center. The truck has some space for more ballots, but is already loaded with some early in-person ballots and ballots that were placed in a drop box. The driver goes to the post office and picks up more ballots, then takes the truck to Runbeck Election Services. Now, Runbeck Election Services, guys, needs to, well, it needs to be noted, okay? It's been duly noted here at the Sea Report. What are the odds that Runbeck Election Services also works in Georgia, right? The same company in Arizona is in Georgia, right? And what does Runbeck Election Services do? They uh, handle the printing, the mailing, the stamping, and the distribution and collection of absentee ballots. That's right. Runbeck Election Services also serves post office functions for ballots. They don't just print them and deliver them. They also mail them and stamp them and postage them. Runbeck Election Services, right? And uh, if I recall correctly, there were some, like, Oddly timed deliveries from Runbeck Election Services with absentee ballots at various points throughout election night, right? Where are all these ballots coming from, Runbeck Election Printing Services? Makes one wonder, doesn't it? Okay, so it says here that uh, the post office driver picks up more ballots than takes the truck to Runbeck Election Services where all ballots are given an incoming scan. It is here at the scan that the inbound receipt of delivery document is generated. This receipt of delivery shows the date, time, and names of the employees delivering and receiving the ballots, and it itemizes the number of ballots that came from the post office drop boxes and early in-person voting. In response to some document requests, Maricopa County made the receipt of delivery document available for public inspection for the dates spanning October 13th through November 6th, 2020. From the collection of documents, Verity Vote noticed that documents from November 4th, 2020, the day after the election, were missing. Verity Vote requested Maricopa County provide the receipt of delivery for that day, first with a few phone calls, then with written requests. It should have been a simple request because all the other dates were already public, but this request went to a county attorney. After numerous delays, multiple follow-up emails and phone calls, county employees informed Verity Vote that the records were with legal counsel pending review, the report says. It took nearly seven months to get the documents. 
The November 4th receipt of delivery shows 18,000 ballots were picked up from the post office the day after the November 3rd election. The form has three colors of ink. A Runbeck Election Service employee printed his name, uh, first name only, Brandon. What are the odds that Brandon was the Runbeck Election Service's employee that picked up those ballots, guys? What are the odds, God? Brandon, what are the odds he would he wrote it in blue? Anyways, okay, the ballots arrived at 9.30 on 11.420, and the paper is signed in the same blue ink by the receiver, but the signature is illegible. A row listed as late should show how many ballots are late. The four columns in the late row have numbers in blue ink but are scribbled over and cannot be read. Another signature scrawled in red ink is also illegible. It denotes the person who delivered the ballots. Even though the document is dated November 4th, one day after the election at the top of the page, above the margin, someone has written election day in black ink in what looks like different handwriting from the rest of the page. That was, that was probably the lawyer. I bet you that was the lawyer. <laughs> the lawyer was like, oh crap, how are we going to fix this? Maybe they'll have forgotten what day election day was, right? It's been seven months. The county also documents receiving 1,000 ballots on November 5th and 1,500 ballots on November 6th, combined with 18,000 ballots on, uh, found on November 4th. The total document, uh, documented late ballots were 20,500 a letter from County Recorder Stephen Richer responding to Verity Vote's document request indicated that the November 4 receipt the county provided is not, oh, not the only receipt for ballots the county received that day. This document does not represent the complete universe. Oh, God, Richer would say something like that. The complete universe and unicorns, right, and rainbows and happy trolley-lolly, uh, you know, uh, fountains of gold of Maricopa County inbound receipt delivery forms from November 4, 2020. We cannot be certain, but we believe that the remainder of these forms were transferred to the treasurer's office to be stored and sealed with ballots. If so, it indicates there are more mailed ballots that were not counted in the early voting rejections summary and presumably would have been counted in the results. Now, guys, just, just for hoots and hollers, um, if there is a law that states that X ballots need to be received by X time on X day in order for them to be lawful, what do you call a late ballot? You call it an unlawful ballot, right? Okay. And you know, they were just all about breaking that law in 2020 and creating their own laws, right? And creating addendums and amendments to laws that were already on the book as if though they had the will of the people backing them up, which they did not. But I probably did not need to say that, right? So it says here, as we conclude, uh, that these, um, these late ballots presumably would have been counted because they were not part of the early voting rejection summary. Another anomaly is the number of ballots collected November 4th compared to other surrounding days. Voters were instructed to mail ballots by October 27th, the birth date of Mi Mama, to be sure their ballots arrived on time. By October 30th, the number of ballots coming by mail dropped sharply. 
but then spiked the day after the election. And I bet you can thank Runbeck Printing, I mean election services for that. On October 28th, the county received 58,500 ballots from the post office. Then on the 29th, 14,000. On the 30th, 10,000. On the 31st, 6,000. On November 1st, 1,500. On November 2nd, 1,000. On November 3rd, 2,500. That's election day. And then all of a sudden, on November 4th, you get a number of unlawful ballots that towers over October 29th, and that was 18,000, and 1,000, and 1,500, respectfully, on the 5th and the 6th of November. Yet Maricopa County rejected only 934 ballots for their tardiness. Maricopa County responded to the Epoch Times request for comment with an email promising the communications director in its elections department would reach out. Probably just a smoke signal, I bet. Arizona has 11 electoral votes. In the final tally, Biden had 74 more electoral votes than Trump, according to the official record of the Associated Press. And there you have it. What a story! Yet more unlawfulness discovered in Arizona. And, you know, what is up with these unlawful ballots? They just seem to, you know, stymie any good election, guys. And uh, they definitely add to the drama. And I would say they also definitely raise the blood pressure of awake Americans, right? Oh, my blood pressure. It has skyrocketed, ladies and gentlemen. Speaking of unlawful ballots... Let's go ahead and we're going to go through this one quick, guys. The Oz McCormick election month. Is it over yet? I know it wasn't a month. It was like two weeks. Uh, You know, as I was putting this report together, McCormick had not yet conceded. Okay. Uh, At this hour, he has conceded. But I think... I think just because, you know, the way things seem to go these days with uh, unlawful ballots and, you know, not respecting the rule of law and, uh, you know, just going along whatever kind of, you know, uh, immediate self-fixing, self-sustaining band-aid regulation or idea to, for whatever the agenda or the ends are to it, guys, right? I'm pretty sure we can still share this story, okay? So as it turns out, in the case of um, Dr. Oz, and there's only one Dr. Oz, right? We're all aware that it's that same man, right? He might look more like a troll from the movie Legend than uh, he did when he was on Oprah. But, you know, when you're not getting your, uh, when you're not getting your uh, penis facials or your daily uh, doses of blood, you tend to dry out, right? Anyhow. Moving right along from that, guys, let's see here. Um, a doc, I was going to say Dr. McCormick. David McCormick concedes Pennsylvania GOP Senate primary to Dr. Oz. But I still hold by my original question. Is it over yet? Let's hope it's over. It says uh, McCormick, McFa- McCormick McFailed <laughs> to McSecure President Donald. <laughs> they were in a rush to get this article out, guys. They forgot to put the D on Donald. <laughs> Come on, just the news Uh, on Donald Donald Trump's endorsement in the race. Uh, Pennsylvania GOP Senate candidate and hedge fund CEO David McCormick on Friday conceded the race to his Trump backed opponent, reality TV star, not reality star. He's not a star of my reality, 
but he was a star on reality TV. Dr. Mehmet Oz. McCormick on Friday announced that he had called Oz to concede the race after it became clear he would lose the extremely tight race, per the Associated Press. Of course the Associated Press purrs that, right? The race is still going through an automatic recount. Prior to the recount, Oz held a slim 972-vote lead in the race, roughly 0.07% of the total votes. The celebrity doctor struggled to triumph over his rivals, even when the enthusiastic support of President Donald Trump was there. Oz faced criticism from the right over his Turkish citizenship and non-committal stances on 2020 election fraud, while third-place candidate Kathy Barnett secured roughly one quarter of the vote, partially contributing to the close race between Oz and McCormick. Um, so it says here, the final results of the race are not yet official, but barring any surprises, Oz will go on to face uh, Democrat Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman in November's election to succeed one-term GOP Senator Pat Toomey, who is retiring. Again, guys, barring any surprises, I ask you, is it over yet? I hope it's almost over. I really, really do. But you know what, guys? Maybe it's not. Because this also happened today. Uh, Pennsylvania court orders that the disputed unlawful ballots, there we go with those unlawful ballots again, guys, should be counted in the United States Senate contest in Pennsylvania. They just love their drama, don't they? They just love their drama. A Pennsylvania state court ruled in favor of former hedge fund CEO David McCormick, who is locked in a tight Republican primary contest for U.S. Senate seat against celebrity heart surgeon Mehmet Oz, ordering late on... Oh, this was yesterday. Ordering late on June 2nd that contested ballots be included in the count. Barring any surprises. Okay. Oz and McCormick are now duking it out in a statewide recount... Over less than a thousand votes. The primary vote took place on May 17th, okay? Over two weeks ago. Isn't it crazy how 2020 happened again in Pennsylvania in 2022? I think we really need to take something away from this, guys. We really need to take something away from this that maybe, just maybe, Republicans and conservatives are also involved in the magical ballot that suddenly appears and needs to be counted. That's what I think. That's my takeaway. Um, Oz was slightly ahead in unofficial results, you know, and he conceded and we know it was like 900 and something, right? So we don't need to go through that information again. No need to be redundant. Now, here's, 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 the, here's the go-getter right here, guys. State law requires. But somehow this judge feels like he is above the law, okay? Last time I heard judges don't make law, but they quite often break law. Mm -hmm. State law requires that ballots received on time but missing a handwritten date on the envelope are to be rejected. 
McCormick's campaign filed suit on Monday, I'm sorry, on May 23rd against Acting Secretary of the Commonwealth, Lee M. Chapman, and county boards of elections. The campaign said the boards were refusing to count absentee and mail-in ballots in the primary election that were received on time and stamped by the county boards, but on which voters failed to write a date on the exterior mailing envelope. The campaign asked the court to declare that absentee and mail-in ballots received by the deadline may not be rejected due solely to the lack of a date in the declaration on the exterior envelope. The undated mail ballots at issue in the case were indisputably submitted on time. They were date stamped upon receipt and no fraud or regularity has been alleged, McCormick's attorney argued in the lawsuit. The only basis for disenfranchising these voters is a technical error that is immaterial and apparently without respect to law under both state and federal law. So, well, there you go, guys. Uh, There you go. I'm not going to go through the rest of this. It says on June 2nd, Judge Renee Cohn, Jubilurler, Jubelurler, Jubelurler, of the Pennsylvania Commonwealth Court directed county boards to segregate the ballots that lack a dated exterior envelope and to canvass those ballots assuming there are no other deficiencies or regularities that would require otherwise. She also ordered that two vote tallies, one including the disputed ballots and one without, be forwarded to Chapman, according to the 40-page memorandum opinion issued by the court late on June 2nd. A dispute over ballots in a separate Pennsylvania election is also before the Supreme Court. The end result in the litigation could affect the race between McCormick and Oz. Ah, barring any surprises, is it over yet? They still haven't declared a winner, guys. They still have not declared a winner, which means even though McCormick has conceded, it is still going on election day plus three weeks in Pennsylvania. Absolutely ridiculous, you know, and if people don't take away that possibly Republicans are involved in the same ballot unlawful creation schemes, because there's no evidence to suggest that at this point, you know, it's just my point, right? It's my point. That's my takeaway, okay? It doesn't have to be yours. Uh, Maybe what they can take away is that we really do need to have only voting election days, make an election day holiday, and uh, get rid of the mail-ins unless they are absolutely absentee um, um, necessary, ladies and gentlemen. I think everyone in the audience could take that away with them tonight. All right, next story. Ah, who dat? This is a story about the corruption in Michigan. No, everyone knows that Michigan is corrupt. We've been talking about Michigan since the day we went on air, guys, right? Uh, Wretched Gretchen Whitmer, Wretched Dana Nassal, and Secretary of Snakes Jocelyn Benton, the, the Weird Sisters Three, who are just totally running that state, right? Okay. So um, if you guys will recall, I believe it was last week, we shared a story with you all about how in the case of Wretched Gretchen Whitmer and her GOP rivals for the gubernatorial race this year, five of them, five of them have been knocked out of the race by the Michigan Elections Board 
and uh, the Secretary of Snakes, Jocelyn Benson, because apparently five of the GOP candidates fraudulently turned in signatures to get their names on the ballot. Or should I, should I write that? Should I word that differently? Five of the GOP candidates turned in um, documents that had fraudulent, uh, fraudulent signatures just to get their name on the ballot, right? Now, the first thing that my C-Sense said, the first thing my gut told me was, oh, wretched Gretchen is so wretched that she probably had some inside agent get into these campaigns, create all of these fraudulent signatures just to knock them out. What is this like 3D chess with Wretched Gretchen Whitmer? That is the extent of her evil, ladies and gentlemen. That is the extent of her evil, okay? Now, before we get into the proof that's in the pudding, that's in the taste on that topic, um, we see that a couple of these GOP candidates for governor... Uh, tried to appeal it. One of them just outright gave up. One of them was like, well, yeah, you know, I guess it, it appears that I committed fraud. I'm just going to bow out now, right? Uh, these two fellas, they actually uh, tried to appeal it to the court and the court denied their appeal. So at this point in time, barring any type of investigation, and if you know how things work in Michigan, you know there will not be an investigation, right? And you will be attacked if you try and make an issue out of this, because it's happened ever since November 3, okay? And it's gonna get worse, guys. Like, we're gonna see the wretched Hydra Medusa faces, the sharp, serrated demon teeth of these Weird Sisters 3, the closer we get to November, right? And they're already showing their teeth, right? Here is the story. James Craig loses bid to appear on primary ballot after Michigan court denies appeal. The Michigan Supreme Court dealt a fatal blow to GOP gubernatorial candidates' last-ditch attempts to land a spot on the August primary ballot after a signature forgery scandal brought their campaigns to an end. Yes, this is a Legacy Press article, guys. The court declined to take up appeals from former Detroit Police Chief James Craig, Oakland, Oakland County businessman Perry Johnson, and Grand Haven Financial Advisor Michael Markey, who sought to reverse lower court rulings denying their requests for placement on the ballot. Chief Justice Bridget Mary Mc, McCormack. <laughs> McCormack! Oh my goodness, I told you! No, just kidding. He's a rhino! Uh, wrote that it is up to the Board of State Canvassers' judgments whether a candidate has obtained enough signatures to qualify for the ballot in a concurring statement attached to the order in the Johnson case joined by Justice Brian Zara. Johnson's quarrels with the board's methodology for reviewing signatures on the nominating petitions he submitted, but does not assert that the board had a clear legal duty to certify his name for placement on the primary ballot, McCormack wrote. Justice Richard Bernstein, the lone justice to submit a dissenting statement, wrote that he would order oral arguments in all three cases. Bernstein wrote that Johnson raised serious concerns about ballot access and whether the current process implemented by the state appropriately balances real concerns about fraud against the possibility of disenfranchising both candidates 
and voters. The court took no action on a legal challenge from Brian Center or Byron Center businesswoman Donna Brandenburg before the names of candidates for the August primary were certified Friday evening. She filed her lawsuit early Thursday in the Michigan Supreme Court, almost a week after the Board of State canvassers deadlocked along party lines on whether to accept a recommendation from the Bureau of Elections to disqualify half of the Republican gubernatorial primary field. Candidates for governor must submit at least 15,000 valid voter signatures to qualify for the primary ballot. In a report summarizing its review of the signatures on candidates nominating petitions, the Bureau said it was uncovered it uncovered extensive signature fraud, including a large number of signatures that appeared to be forged on behalf of dead people, as well as voters whose addresses had changed. The Bureau was also also found petition sheets that appeared to be round tabled with circulators passing around a petition between each other to vary handwriting, according to the Bureau. Man, they must be really good at analyzing signatures and penmanship. If the candidates knew about the fraud and submitted the sheets rife with forged signatures anyway, they could be guilty of a misdemeanor according to Michigan Elections Director Jonathan Brader. They also would have been aware that submitting fraudulent signatures could threaten their placement on the ballot, Brader wrote in an affidavit filed in response to Craig's lawsuit. Because of this, I believe the candidates or their campaigns did not review all petition sheets before filing. Altogether, the board found about 63,000 invalid signatures across the nominating petitions for five GOP gubernatorial candidates. Michigan State Police Captain Mike Brown, who withdrew from the race, as well as Brandon uh, Brandenburg, Craig Johnson, and Markey. The invalid signatures the Bureau identified brought the candidates below the required threshold to warrant placement on the primary ballots. The state's election panel reached an impasse, an impasse on whether to put the candidates on the ballot at its meeting last week. The two Democrat members of the Board of State canvassers voted in favor of accepting the Bureau's recommendation to disqualify the candidates, while the two Republican members voted against it. Hesitant to knock candidates off the ballot based on the Bureau's signature review process and without further review from the courts. The board approved for placement on the primary ballot um, Norton Shores businesswoman Tudor Dixon, Ottawa County real estate agent Ryan Kelly, Farmington Hills pastor Ralph Rebant, Bloomfield Hills businessman Kevin Rink, and Kalamazoo chiropractor Garrett Soldano. The disqualified GOP gubernatorial candidates argued that the Bureau needed to individually review every signature presumed invalid, comparing each one with the signature on file in the state's voter registration database. A unanimous opinion from the Court of Appeals denying Johnson's lawsuit seeking a spot on the primary ballot ruled that the Board of State canvassers did not have a legal duty to undertake a signature-by-signature -signature review comparing each suspected fraudulent signature against the state's voter file. The appeals court denied Markey's lawsuit for the same reason, and a court of claims judge who rejected Craig's bid to make the ballot said she was bound by the appeals court's decision in the Johnson lawsuit. That's pretty crazy, guys, right? That is pretty crazy. 
I think we got the gist of this. We don't want to hear about what Secretary of Snakes Jocelyn Benson had to say. After all, one of her sisters will be making an appearance shortly, right? Get ready for it, guys. She's coming up. You got a swamp creature headed your way. One of the weird sisters is headed this way. But before we get to that, um, let's talk a little bit more about this theory I had about, I don't know, maybe uh, the, the, the wretched Gretchen um, group, the wretched Gretchen gang, like uh, uh, hiring someone to infiltrate and collect or to create these uh, fraudulent signatures. Okay. Uh, trust me, guys. Wretched Dana Nacelle is the AG there, right? Wretched, uh, sorry, Secretary of Snakes Jocelyn Benson, also Wretched, is uh, is there as well. There's not going to be an investigation. Uh, I would say this is case closed unless, oh, and here are the ones who suffered, right? Not the one who dropped out, but the ones who will not be on uh, the ballot because of this wretchedness. But because of this guy, ladies and gentlemen, this guy, okay? This guy. Now, a whistleblower has come forward who names the possible petition ringleader who created these fraudulent um, signatures, ladies and gentlemen. For uh, this scandal to go through, you always need someone dirty on the inside, right? So um, will wretched Dana Nacelle review this information? Probably not, right? Uh, would Jocelyn Benson even give it the time of day? Not at all. Not at all. Uh, but that is the face of the man that they call... What do they call this man? <laughs> what do they call this man? This man they call... Uh, I got his name right here somewhere. Sean Wilmoth. That's the name of that face that we just saw. So let's see what this whistleblower had to say about Sean Wilmoth. And this uh, fraudulent signature petition ring, ring that they have that effectively um, unnamed candidates for the governor's race. Now, it could be a blessing for the other candidates, right? Or maybe the other candidates checked their signatures or they didn't hire strange outside individuals that they knew they couldn't trust by their gut. Breaking bombshell from 100% fed up, whistleblower explains how Michigan petition ringleader allegedly gathered fraudulent ballot signatures for five GOP groups. Uh, Sorry, five GOP gubernatorial candidates, their groups. He also worked for three Democrat congressional candidates. Oh, and I wonder if they had fraudulent signatures. Oh, and I wonder if they were held accountable, right? On Monday, five of 12 Michigan GOP gubernatorial candidates, including the top two Republican gubernatorial candidates, former Detroit police chief James Craig and self-made billionaire Perry Johnson, and three other GOP candidates for governor were found to have an insufficient number of signatures to be placed on the ballot in the August primary election. The other three candidates include Michael Markey, Michigan State Police Captain Michael Brown, and Donna Brandenburg. They were notified by State of Michigan Bureau of Elections that thousands of fraudulent signatures had been identified on their nominating petitions. Um, The Michigan Board of Canvassers will make their... Okay, they already made their final decision. 
Okay, so uh, the writer for this article says that they spoke exclusively with a whistleblower tied to the petition gathering process in Michigan as he or she tried to understand better how so many intelligent candidates were caught up in what appears to be a significant signature forgery scheme. During a lengthy conversation with a Michigan whistleblower who's been in the key in the signature gathering business for a long time, she named some of the key figures involved in the unethical and likely illegal practice of gathering forged signatures for candidates, paying them in good faith to complete their nominating petitions. The first name we discussed was First Choice Consulting founder Sean Wilmoth. When I mentioned his name, the whistleblower immediately responded, Sean is definitely behind the scandal. When I asked her to define Wilmot's alleged role in the gathering of fraudulent signatures, specifically for the GOP gubernatorial candidates, whose campaigns are in jeopardy, she explained, whose campaigns have ended, she explained, Sean owns a company called First Choice Consulting, and he just had too many clients. In addition to being overwhelmed with too many clients, the whistleblower also blamed a labor shortage for some of the unethical practices within the signature gathering community. <laughs> Who imagined there would be such a community? Citing an unusually long winter coupled with a shortage of workers because so many people are still getting government assistance, COVID payments. She admitted that it become a challenge to get the same amount of required signatures for candidates with fewer workers. Another source in the business collect in the, in the business of collecting signatures told me if Sean Wilmot's behind the GOP fraudulent signature scandal, the person who hired him needs to be held accountable. He explained that Wilmot has two previous voter fraud felony convictions and almost everyone in this business who hires him knows they are getting into knows what they're getting into when they hire him. In April 2011, Wilmoth was arrested in Michigan and accused of instructing employees to fraudulently sign petitions. Wilmoth pleaded guilty. A statement of facts entered as part of the plea reveals that Wilmoth hired two ex-cons who were ineligible to collect petition signatures under state law and asked them to not only collect signatures, but to sign as a witness on dozens of petition sheets filled with signatures they did not collect. A part of the plea deal, as part of the plea deal, Wilmoth was given two uh, concurrent five-year sentences with four years and eight months suspended on the condition of good behavior and repayment of court and extradition costs and sentenced to three years of supervised probation. He was also released from jail after being credited with time served. And there again is the face of Sean Wilmot. He reached out, uh, we reached out to John Yob, Chief Craig, Craig's former and Perry Johnson's current campaign strategist, to ask if he was responsible for hiring Sean Wilmoth to get signatures for Chief Craig and Perry Johnson. Yob did not respond to my request. A political insider told me that Yob allegedly hired Wilmoth out of desperation to get the signatures for both Craig and Johnson. Yob shared his outrage over the decision on Twitter. And 100%, you spelled Sean Wilmot's last name three different ways. I'm just saying. Interesting, guys. So, you know, obviously, I mean, there is a little bit of smoke there. They might just be using Sean since he has such a bad rap, but 
John Yob should have known what he was getting into when he hired him. I am more, uh, I am more in favor of the wretched Gretchen gang hiring Sean to do the dirty deed. Or maybe John Yob, as most of the politicians and elected and non-elected bureaucrats and officials in Michigan are corrupt, maybe John Yob is corrupt. And he's just pay, he's just playing for the pay, right? Ah, there is wretched Dana Nassau. I told you guys a swamp creature was soon to be on the face of this screen. Swamp creature Dana Nassau. Now I'm telling you guys, the attack that is occurring against anyone, rhino or not, make America great again candidate or not, that can dethrone any of these three weird sisters or anyone that is doing the job the way they want in Michigan at this point in time are being attacked. I believe we are seeing a full-scale attack against anybody who could remove any of these elected non-representative officials from their office. You know, there was a story I could not find and I wish I had saved it on one of my tabs about the Michigan GOP removing America First candidates from uh, positions of voting or, you know, or candidacy. They couldn't do it with uh, Matthew DiPerno. They couldn't do it with Christina Caramo. But, and I'm talking about the Michigan GOP, but apparently... Dana Nassau might have found a pathway forward. She's like, don't worry, sis. She's, of course, talking to Secretary of Snakes, Jocelyn Benson. She's like, don't worry, sis. I'm going to take care of Christina Caramo for you. And I'm going to take care of Matthew DeFerno for myself. We'll scissor later, right? That's what's going on here. Now, wretched Dana Nassau, Michigan Attorney General, is now going after... I, you know, I put in the banner candidates, but apparently she's going after anyone that supported, worked towards, talked about, thought about overturning the 2020 election, right? Because she's taken a page out of the January 6th unselect committee, right? And, uh, and everyone who's giving them ideas, oh, uh, prosecute these uh, illegitimate slate of electors because they were trying to commit a coup. This is treason for them to submit these alternative electors in the event that people follow through with their constitutional duties, which they did not, okay? Yet Dana Nassau has contributed to the J6 committee. Jocelyn Benson has um, um, contributed to the January 6th unselect committee. Like, I'm telling you guys, these swamp creatures in Michigan are as deep and dirty and gloopy and grimy as they get in any swamp, Right? So let's see what Dana Nassell is up to. Now, this is really bad, guys, if this moves forward. So check it out. Unprecedented. Michigan AG expects charges against Trump supporters in coordinated election plot. Dana Nassell says she's working on investigating coordinated efforts to overturn Trump's loss. Michigan Attorney General, uh, Attorney General Dana Nassell, wretched, reportedly said this week that she expects charges related to a coordinated effort to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. The Detroit News reported that Nassell made the remarks on Wednesday at um, the Mackinac Police Conference. The target of the investigation was said to be supporters of former President Donald Trump. Her words, not mine. 
She told the paper that her office had been investigating an unprecedented and coordinated push to overturn the election on behalf of Trump. Um, Wretched Dana says, I have talked... I have talked to countless people at our department who have been there 30, 40, and even 50 years. So this is really new territory. There's no way to say, here's how we've always handled this. The Michigan Attorney General's office has been involved in at least three investigations into the effort to overturn the election, but no charges have been filed. Nacelle would not say when the charges would be filed or provide specifics. I can't speak to the details of many of these investigations, except to say the public should know we're aware of anything you have read in the news. We're aware of it. We are working on it. Okay. We're looking into it. Uh, the attorney general said, I'm sorry, she's usually drunk. And that's why I said it like that. Um, but you know, okay. So you, she can't get into any of the details guys, but we can speculate, Right. We can oh most definitely speculate, right? And and for that, I just have to say, Christina Caramo, Matthew DiPerno, you in danger, guys. You in danger, right? Because after all, Christina Caramo was one of the um, one of the affidavit signing uh, witnesses who testified in December in Michigan before the Senate about all of the fraud that she witnessed at the, uh, what was it, the ATF center there in Detroit? You know, she testified against the legitimate election of illegitimate Joe Biden. Okay, so these two are directly in the line of fire, guys. And I have a feeling that that is exactly why wretched Dana Nassau is pursuing this course of action. You know? She could have done this a long time ago, right? She could have done this when the J6 Unselect Committee, you know, uh, kicked into uh, kicked into high gear or started, right? Uh, this is an attempt to take these two out. Why is she going to take out Matthew DiPerno? Matthew DiPerno represented William Bailey in Antrim County, Michigan, okay? And was successfully awarded a forensic audit of that county and its machines ballots. Discovered a lot of fraud, okay? And the only reason why uh, we didn't see an overturn of elections in Michigan is because the judge was like, well, uh, I can't award 80 million Michiganders their own personal forensic audit. And uh, I think that by allowing William Bailey to have the machines forensically audited, which they did, which there's a report which they found, much like other reports, that uh, Dominion voting machines are highly susceptible to being hacking. They are very vulnerable. And they have a whole bunch of added features like uh, remote access, um, um, uh, data manipulation ac uh, uh, capabilities, and uh, ballot printing and caping, uh, printing capabilities. But, uh, you know, the judge was like, well, you know, William... You wanted those machines forensically audited. You found out what you wanted to find out about those machines. I'm not going to review what your report on that forensic audit of those machines said, but that is how we're going to satisfy you. Case closed. Dismissed. Yeah. Matthew DiPerno was on the front line. He was the first outside of the hearings that happened in December um, to prove fraud occurred. He was the first soldier on the battlefield, guys, after the Trump legal, legal team 
First soldier. This uh, thing that wretched Dana Nacelle is doing is specifically, I believe, to take out two of my heroes, okay? And um, they don't stand a chance, wretched Dana and Secretary of Snakes, also wretched Jocelyn Benson. They don't stand a chance. I really don't believe it, you know, that they, they are any kind of uh, contender against these two, right? These are firebrands right here, all right? They are loved by the people of Michigan. So, um, you know, who else are they going to roll up? Who else are they going to roll up in Michigan that's of any consequence? The GOP Senate rhinos in Michigan did a report that found no evidence of uh, illicit fraud or expansive fraud in the 2020 election. The rhinos, are they going to roll up the Senate over there? No. Is there any type of uh, possibility that they are a threat? to Nacelle, or to Benson, or to Whitmer? No, they're not. Michigan is a corrupt state. It is a swamp deep with rhino crap, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why I'm just saying, we are beyond the point where we can put up, let alone turn our cheek to the reality of the situation, which is 90 to 95% of our so-called elected, so-called representatives, Senate or congressmen, whether it be on Capitol Hill or whether it be at the state house, are all corrupt. They are all there for selfish reasons, whether that is the love of money, the love of power, or respect to whomever placed them in that position, okay? And the only remedy against them is us. We are the only remedy against the corrupt rhino, conservative, corrupt politician. We are the only remedy, guys. We are the only ones. Christina and Matt, and I don't know them personally, but I did meet Christina. <laughs> um, they can't take care of a corrupt legislative body. They can't. They can represent the will of the people, and do their job respectfully, morally, and rightfully, and constitutionally, in most cases. But we are the only ones who can remedy a corrupt legislative body. Period. And uh, that's all I got to say about that, folks. That is all I have got to say about that. I hope you guys enjoyed this edition of The Sea Report coming to you on this Friday evening. It was a fun time, right? I had a good time. I hope you guys had a good time too. We'll be wrapping up now, guys. And uh, let's see here. Uh, we've got a weekend ahead of us. We'll be back in the studio at some point, I'm sure. Uh, for any of you all who um, like to uh, catch these live shows, where did my... There, oh wait, that's too big. There we go. Awesome. All right, guys. And if you enjoyed the show, please make sure that you follow and subscribe, whether you're over at Rumble, whether you're over at Foxhole, whether you're over at Twitch or Clout Hub or Pilled. Uh, or, you know, if you have accounts for all of those platforms, make sure you follow and subscribe me over there too. You never know when it might come in handy. Uh, check out thecreport.com for latest information and updates um, from the show. Uh, follow us over at Truth Social at MRCTV. That's Truth Social at MRCTV. And also Gab at MR underscore 
CTV. And uh, in case you are a podcast um, uh, affinate, someone who has an affinity for podcasts, someone who enjoys the podcasts, you can also catch the Sea Report via podcast, right? This very exact broadcast on podcast um, over at anchor.fm slash the Sea Report anchor.fm slash the C report or look for the C report on any of your favorite podcasting stations and or platforms and or websites. Uh, the C report is available on most, if not all of them. Um, and with that said, ladies and gentlemen, I think we're good. Thank you all for hanging out tonight. Everyone over at the uh, Foxhole, we had Tam Growl in the house, Disco Ball Chaser, The Speak Uneasy, 123SKG, Good Evening, Slug Trail, and, uh, and everyone else, Slug Trail, thank you for the 111 gold pills. Didn't see that there. Media is always concerned with demographics, just like racists are. Indeed, isn't that the truth? Indeed, isn't that the truth? Alrighty, folks, it's been a pleasure. And uh, we will uh, see you guys on the next report. Uh, otherwise, it'll be Lone Star News. Otherwise, it'll be Sea in the Dark. Otherwise, we'll see you later. Um, and as always, guys, you guys be safe out there. Be bla- be safe. Be blessed. And God bless America. We will see you next time. Take care till then. Ta-ta now. <laughs>